Second Chronicles 29. Now, we're resuming our, our study. This is where we left off before the summer. In the summer, we did our, our, finished up our series, Summer in the Psalms. And so we just wrapped it up last week. Today, we're getting back into the study we were in before the summer, and that is in Second Chronicles. And we're going to take the next number of Sundays and wrap it up. And uh, in Second Chronicles now, we find ourselves in a place where things are pretty tough. Things have not been left off well there in Judah, the southern kingdom. They've had a pretty wicked king by the name of Ahaz, who has led them down a path where they have just gotten further and further away from the Lord, and now they are kind of reaping the consequences of that. It's not been good. But here's the great thing, that right in the midst of this kind of darkness and decay that's been going on in the land, God raises up a new person now to be king. In fact, he's the son of Ahaz. His name is Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, thankfully, doesn't follow along in his father's footsteps, but rather he looks to the Lord God and says, God, we want to get ourselves back on track with you. I'm so glad that when we might find ourselves in some difficult days, we might find ourselves in some adverse conditions, that there's always hope in the Lord and God always wants to come and bring about change and restoration. He doesn't want to leave us where we're at. And if we will open our hearts to what God wants to do, then we're going to see some great and effectual change take place in and through the Lord. Well, let's see how that unfolds here for us. Second Chronicles 29 verse 1 says this. Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Notice his father Ahaz is not even mentioned. It's like, man, we want to do away with that guy. We don't want to recall or remember the way that he has left our nation. And so Hezekiah is mentioned only according to his mom and his, grand, and his grandfather. goes on in verse 3 to say this. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Then he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square and said to them, Hear me, Levites. Now sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers, and carry out the rubbish from the holy place, from the temple. Verse 6, for our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him, have turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord, and turned their backs on him. They have also shut up the doors of the vestibule outside the temple. They put out the lamps and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Therefore, in verse 8, the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he has given them up to trouble, to desolation, and to jeering, as you see with your eyes. For indeed, because of this, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons, our daughters, and our wives are in captivity. So, Hezekiah calls attention to everybody here he's recognizing that their fathers have done great evil and in fact the temple had even been basically closed up shut down and the the levites as as hezekiah is calling all the levites together because they were the the priestly tribe he's calling them all together because they had been put out from the temple too in fact turn over just one chapter before chapter 28 to verse 22 second chronicles 28 verse 22 let's see just Again, in in recalling the things that Ahaz had done, it says this in verse 22 of of chapter 28. Now, 
In the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. This is that King Ahaz. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, saying, Because the gods of the kings of Assyria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. So Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of God. He cut in pieces the articles of the house of God, shut up the doors of the house of the Lord, and made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. That's what Ahaz did. He began to worship other gods. The gods of Damascus that were of no help to him. In fact, they became the ruin of him, it says there. And then he closed the doors of the temple. He said, we're just going to shut everything out from the Lord and from the Lord acting on our behalf in Israel. It's not a good place that they're finding themselves in right now. But you see, all the Lord needs is one man. One man to be raised up to say, we're going to turn things around. And in fact, the Lord doesn't even need one man. He can do it all himself. But understand, he loves to work in us and through us. He loves to have people that he can look to. People, it says in Second Chronicles, that would just have a loyal heart towards him that he can show himself strong towards. That's what God is desiring. One person say, God, I want to follow you. I want to be committed to you. I want to be used of you. And then God can do great things. And that's what we see unfolding in Second Chronicles 29 as we see this great restoration happening in the land of judah now some of the things that hezekiah is doing here there's things that's not mentioned because he's tearing down all the idols and he's even removing the high places as it tells us in second kings chapter 18 these were the pagan places of worship that even other good kings didn't even go as far as doing. There were good kings that tore down idols, but they didn't always remove the high places that continued to be a temptation of idolatrous practice and worship. But Hezekiah steps in and he removes even the high places. Hezekiah becomes one of the great, greatest and most godly kings in Judah. In fact, there's 11 chapters in God's word devoted to Hezekiah. Three in 2 Kings, Four chapters devoted to him in the book of Isaiah. And here in Second Chronicles, we see four chapters that are all describing the work that Hezekiah did and more so the work that God did through Hezekiah and through Hezekiah's obedience to follow the Lord. So Hezekiah sees all these things. He's putting them out. But not only is Hezekiah removing all the bad stuff, right? Because sometimes that becomes our only focus, I, I just got to get away from the bad stuff. I just can't do any of that bad stuff. I'm going to determine not to do those things. I'm going to determine not to do those things. But Hezekiah doesn't stop right there. He says, we're going to bring in all the things that are of the Lord. We're not just going to stop at trying to remove the bad. We're going to bring in the good, the things that are of the Lord, the things that are helpful and pleasing to the Lord. Hezekiah starts to bring all those things in. It says in verse 3 and 4 that he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Then he brought in the priests and the Levites. He opened the doors. The doors had been shut. But now he opens them up. See, the Lord had given this place, the temple, as a means to focus on him and worship him. In the same way, the Lord has invited us into fellowship with him. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But I wonder if, and I wonder how often we close the doors, so to speak, of our own hearts. 
Do we turn away from the Lord and focus on other things? Do we turn away from the Lord? Do we, do we turn our back on him? Because this is what we see happening here. In, in, in the book of Second Chronicles, in this chapter here, we see that people previously had been turning their faces away from the Lord and turning their backs on him in verse 6. And that's a surefire recipe for disaster right there, isn't it? The minute that we are kind of turning our backs on the Lord, you can maybe take him out to the parents' room just so that it won't be a distraction here. That'd be great, thank you. And so we see that these people have been turning their backs on the Lord. He's the one that we want to be focused on. We understand that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, right? And so if we are looking to the Lord, well, then we're right there looking to him in that flow of the blessing and the presence of the Lord, in that flow of just the Lord doing that work. But if we're turning our backs on him as the people we're doing here, well, we're going to be exempt from that. We're going to be missing out on what God has for us. Remember when Jesus said to the church at Ephesus that they had left their first love, right? Well, he told them to repent and do the first works or else he would remove their lampstand from its place. That was a picture of the presence of Jesus in their midst and their testimony of him in the world. Well, here now in the temple, that lampstand was extinguished. They were experiencing or they were not experiencing the presence of God or worshiping him or being led of him at all. And they were reaping the byproduct of that because it tells us there that in verse 8, he had given them up to trouble, to desolation and jeering. They weren't experiencing the goodness of the Lord. The things that God desired for them to experience, the blessings of God, they weren't experiencing any of that because they turned their backs on the Lord. They closed their hearts to him. And Hezekiah recognizes something here. He recognized that their condition is directly related to their position with the Lord. They've gotten away from God, right? They've gotten out of line from what the Lord had for them. And they realized this was a direct correlation to the very condition that they find themselves in now. You see, if a nation is turning to the Lord and seeking him, then they're going to be strong and prosperous, If they are turning away from the Lord, they're going to be weakened and easy pickings for the enemy. So Hezekiah, he comes in, he takes action. It's time to get back on track with the Lord, right? So he opens the doors, he cleanses the temple from its filth, and he restores worship. This is what we see unfolding here in this chapter. And there's some great lessons for us in this, all right? Don't miss this here today, guys. Maybe you're entering into this fall season with a dryness in your life. Perhaps you felt like the Lord has been closed out from you, that your heart has been, you know, just closed off from hearing and receiving from the Lord. Maybe you're in a dark period right now. Maybe getting kids back in the school mode has just been more troubling than anything you've seen before, right? But here's the great thing. The Lord doesn't want to keep you in that condition. The Lord doesn't want you to stay in that condition. The Lord doesn't want you to remain there. He's all about bringing change and seeing things opening up in your life to a greater flow of his presence and blessing. And like I said, it only takes one person to bring this about. Here the Lord is raising up a man like Hezekiah to bring about an effectual change for the whole nation. But all the Lord needs is you to say, 
Yes, Lord, I don't want to restrict you any longer from working in my life. Lord, I'm opening my heart to you and to your work continuing on in me. That's all the Lord desires is for us to say, God, I want more of you in my life. I don't want to be closed off, restricted from you moving and working. I want my face to continually be looking towards you, God, and seeing your presence and your blessing at work in my life. And it's when we walk in that attitude that the Lord comes and he meets us in a special way. Look at what we read in verse 10. It says, Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and that you should minister to him and burn incense. Then these Levites arose, Mahath, the sons of Amasite. Let me stop right there. We're going to read a bunch of names in a second, but I'm going to stop right there. Hezekiah, you see, what does he do? He sets this great example for everyone, I think. Because he's not just taking action in an outward sense. This is something he's determining from his heart, right? Again, his desire is to renew the covenant that God has already established with them. God's already laid out for them. But Hezekiah realizes we've gotten away from this as a nation. So Hezekiah says, I'm going to be the one that's going to lead us back in this covenant. And he determines within his own heart. To do this, this isn't something that Hezekiah is trying to, you know, fulfill in an outward manner, just trying to, you know, make everything look nice, right? He's not just trying to do things from a religious perspective, because we can oftentimes do that where we're just trying to put together some kind of religious reform, like, okay, we're going to do better, we're going to try harder. But what God desires is a work from the heart and transformation from within. And Hezekiah is doing just that. It's, he says that it's in his heart and he decides from his own heart to do these things. And I like what it says in verse 11. My sons, do not be negligent now. For the Lord has chosen you to stand before me. Speaking to the Levites, the ones that had the role of serving in the temple. And we have to ask, what has God called us to do? What has God commissioned us to be doing as believers in him? We all have a role to play here. And have we been negligent in fulfilling that? Have we been coming up short in what the Lord has for us? You know, we're all coming off, I'm hoping, a great, fun and relaxing summer, right? But summertime, we know, it's oftentimes where we just kind of unwind a little bit and we find some times of retreat and, and refreshment. But it can also mean that we sometimes get a little bit lackadaisical in some of the more important things, Right? Well, this is a great day to renew these things and covenant with the Lord to continue on in that which he's called us to. To say, Lord, I want to get back on track with what you have for me. I don't want to get become negligent. I don't want to become lackadaisical, Lord. I want a purpose in my own heart to say, God, I want to be used of you. I want to serve you. I want to continue to, to, to follow you closely. And so this is what's happening here. In these passages, so the Levites arose and in verses 12 to the end of verse um, 14 gives us all these names that I had a tough time getting through the first verse. So we'll just leave it and jump to verse 15 and says this. And they gathered their brethren, sanctified themselves and went according to the commandment of the king at the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. Then the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it. And brought out all the debris that they found in the temple of the Lord to the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it out and carried it to the brook Kidron. Now, if we're going to covenant, right, with the Lord and mean business of consecrating ourselves 
to him, which simply means, you know, that we're setting ourselves apart for the Lord. Consecration, right? Then we need to be ready to remove all the things that would otherwise come in and, and defile that would kind of get in the way and impede our growth in the Lord. Because there's no sense asking the Lord to fill you and strengthen you if you're not willing to do business and remove those things that keep defiling. Right? Hezekiah's got it right here in how he's handling these things. Because there's been a lot of rubbish. There's been a lot of idolatry and, and, and pagan things that have, that have come into the temple that have been stored up there. There's been a lot of junk that's just been brought in that are, is not of the Lord. In fact, it, it's, it's very blasphemous to the Lord. And so Hezekiah is saying, we got to remove this. We're not going to come in and just sort of, you know, put on a nice fresh coat of paint. We're going to make sure that we are removing the things that would otherwise distract and, and impede our growth in the Lord. So all the junk is getting removed as we see in these verses. You know, we would never let this happen in a, in, in a physical way in our lives, right? Like in our home, you know, you got your, your garbage in your kitchen. You never allow that garbage just to keep piling up and overflowing, right? You never just, you know, tie up that bag, take it on, just throw it into another area of your kitchen and just let the garbage just keep piling up and up, right? You never do that. What do you do? Well, you go and get your kids and say, make sure you take that outside, and the, right? You, you get them to work and, and you remove that garbage. You get it outside. You don't keep it in the house. But yet I wonder how often we do this on a, on a spiritual level. How often we allow things to remain unchecked in our own hearts. Things that are, are just not of the Lord, that we're not covenanting and saying, God, not only do I, I want to you know, serve you and follow you, but I want to make sure these things are getting removed that would restrict you from doing your work in my life or impede my growth with you. Are we seeking the Lord and saying, God, show me the things like with Jeremiah prayed, if there's, if there's any wicked way in me, Lord, re- reveal that to me. Show me. Right? Search my heart, God. We need to ask him to do that. And we need to be ready to say, yeah, if there's things that don't belong, Lord, help me to remove that. Help me to get that out and replace with the good. And notice that's what's happening here. It's not just removing the bad. It's replacing it with something that's much better. Look at what we see in verse 17. It says, Now they began to sanctify on the first day of the first month, and on the eighth day of the month they came to the vestibule of the Lord. So they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days, and on the sixteenth day of the first month they finished. Then they went into King Hezekiah and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord, the altar burnt offerings with all its articles, and the table of showbread with, with all its articles. Moreover, all the articles which King Ahaz in his reign had cast aside in his transgression, we had prepared and sanctified, and there they are before the altar of the Lord. So it took 16 days just to kind of come and cleanse everything, to remove the temple and the area around the temple of all the junk. That was no easy task, and it simply reveals the extent of the decay that had taken place. 16 days it took. But they were purposeful in it, they went at it, and all the junk had been removed. The things that belonged there were able to be put back. May that be the case in our own lives. May we be serious about what's happening in our own heart. Say, God, there's something that's not of you. Lord, let it be removed, that it can be replaced with something that's better, with the things of the Lord, God. That's what I want to see taking root in my own heart and in my own life. And so now that all this has taken place, They've recognized the decay that's been going on. They're removing it. 
And now they're able to move into a greater work, this restoration of worship. Look at what we read in verse 20. It says, Then King Hezekiah rose early, gathered the rulers of the city, and went up to the house of the Lord. And they brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, and seven male goats for a sin offering for the kingdom, for the sanctuary, and for Judah. Then he commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. So they killed the bulls, And the priest received the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. Likewise, they killed the rams and sprinkled the blood on the altar. They also killed the lambs and sprinkled the blood on the altar. Then they brought out the male goats for the sin offering before the kill the, the king and the assembly, and they laid their hands on them. And the priest killed them, and they presented their blood on the altar as a sin offering to make an atonement for all Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering be made For all Israel. So Hezekiah doesn't take any chances here, right? He wants to make sure that they are turning things around completely as a nation and properly. So he brings out all the different types of sin offerings and seven of each, right? This number of, of completion. And this is important because if you're going to seek to renew your relationship with the Lord, we've got to make sure that we're dealing with sin. Because it's sin that separates us from God. It's sin that gets us in the way of really enjoying fellowship with the Lord. So they bring in these sin offerings as a way of saying, God, cleanse us. We recognize that we've done wrong. And they would, they would come and they would lay their hand upon the sin offering. They would kind of confess their sin. And, and it was a way to sort of a, a picture of this transferring of their sin to the sacrifice. Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Right? So the sacrifice was a, an important role there in seeing the cleansing of their sin. But here's the great thing is that every sacrifice in the Old Testament simply was pointing ahead to the one and final great sacrifice that we would have in Jesus Christ. By which now we don't have to continually offer up these sacrifices. We just simply get to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, yes, forgive me of my sin. And it tells us in God's word, the wonderful promise we have in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise the Lord for that. We don't need to go through some religious ritual or practice. Think about how messy that was back in this day. But that was kind of the picture there too. That sin leads to death. It's messy. It's problematic. But Jesus has come to redeem us and set us free from sin and to bring a once for all cleansing and forgiveness and covering of our sin. He becomes that great atonement for us. And so this is what we see happening and, and, and taking place. And along with the sin offering was the burnt offering. And the burnt offering was simply this way of saying, uh, the burnt offering, everything was given over to the Lord. Completely You know, sacrifice burned up. And that was a way of just sort of declaring that consecration to the Lord. God, I'm offering myself, everything I am. I'm giving it over to you. And so this is where the people are at. They're saying, Lord, we've gotten away from you, but we're coming back now. And we're giving everything to you. And notice what we see as we read on, verse 25. And he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with stringed instruments, and with harps, according to the commandment of David, of Gad, the king's seer, and of Nathan, the prophet. For thus was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. The Levites did with the instruments of David, and the priests with the trumpets. Then Hezekiah commanded them to offer the burnt offering on the altar. And when the burnt offering began, or when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord also began with the trumpets and with the instruments of David, king of Israel. Verse 28. So all 
the assembly worshipped. The singers sang and the trumpeters sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had finished offering, the king and all who were present with him bowed and worshipped. Moreover, King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praise to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with gladness. And they bowed their heads and worshipped. We're going to stop right there and we'll pick it up next week in verse 31. But here's what we see happening. After Hezekiah recognizes the decay and, and starts to deal with it, they're now ready to move into this place of worship of the Lord, receiving from the Lord. They're bringing all these sacrifices in, but there's also now all these instruments coming and it begins to be a very joyful time. Because up until this time, they haven't been too joyful. There's been a lot of just trouble going on. They've realized that because we turned from the Lord, we've been in this mess. But isn't it great that the minute that we bring these things to the Lord, we say, God, we've gotten away from you. We want to get back on track with you. The Lord doesn't say, well, I'm going to have to think about that for a bit. In fact, I'm going to, I'm going to see how much you mean. I'm going to put you through a few tests here to see if you the lord doesn't do that when we recognize what's been going on in our lives that have led us away from the lord and we come back to the lord with a true heart of repentance desire to serve him he accepts us he brings us in he wants your life to be one that's full of joy and blessing and that only comes as we again turn to the lord as we look to the Lord, as we follow the Lord, whatever situation you might be in today, maybe you haven't had a song to sing in a while. Maybe you've been going through the doldrums of life, but that's not where the Lord would have you. That's not where the Lord wants you to be. He's saying, come to me. Come to me if you're weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. God wants to bless you. God wants to strengthen you. God wants to restore you. And to restore you to where you have a song to sing. From where you were once in grief, but now they're responding in gladness. That's, that's the picture that we have for us here today. That's what we end on, this great picture of gladness and worship. We saw that in, in last week in, in Psalm 148 to 150 as we went through all the, the instruments being played and the worship of the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And that's the position we should be in. Praise the Lord because He is good. He has redeemed us. He has saved us. He has forgiven us of our sin. He's given us hope of life, life eternal. He doesn't want you to remain in a hopeless state, in a place of just suffering through. He wants to pick you up, strengthen you, and bring you on into the worship of the Lord where you have a song to sing. And this is where Hezekiah is being faithful to lead the nation where God is faithful to bless them in. May that be the case with all of us. May we be looking at what's going on in our lives and say, God, is there anything not of you? Remove it. Help me to get rid of it that I might replace it with something far better. And that's just Jesus Christ and his life reigning in us, filling our hearts, giving us a song to sing where we're moving forward in gladness and praise. A few application points as we close. I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come back up as we end with a couple songs of worship. But we need to see and acknowledge the areas in our life that have been left in disrepair and desire to see it restored. This is where Hezekiah is at. He sees that the temple, man, this has been left in disrepair and it needs to be restored. Look in your life and say, God, what areas need to be repaired and restored? Secondly, we need to take action to see our lives cleansed and consecrated, right? 
We need to take action. So that means removing the things that are not of God, that are contrary to his ways. Thirdly, we see there that many sacrifices were brought, but we know that Jesus is our final sacrifice. Our ultimate cleansing and restoration is found in him. So turn to Jesus and call out to him. Lastly, once we experience what Jesus has for us, may we indeed respond in worship. And that's what we're going to do right here, right now. So let's stand together and let's worship.